Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. Literally, as I was doing the intro, he just jumped up and ran over to his coat. He's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. Well, you know what? I, uh, I, was at, I was at 65%, and I was like, you know what? Now's a capital time to be charging my phone. 65's pretty high, though. 65 is not too high. Oh. When do you start getting nervous? 70? 86, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Keep all that gold. Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. I am here with my friend and trusted producer who just started charging his phone, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? I'm feeling good because the charge is happening, you know? While we record, you're actually getting something done. That, exactly. I'm a multitasker. People know that about me. Multitasking Max. That's me. That's what we call you. Yeah. I've never said that once in my life. <laughs> but I like it. Going forward, that's the name. We're also here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Christian Cunningham. Shane, what's going on? Yo, yo. Uh, guys, it's an exciting time. I want to be not the first, but the first on this podcast to say congratulations to both you. You're both Juno nominees. Uh, Max, you're a Juno winner several times over. Sure. But for our Papa Culture aficionado, first time yeah. Juno nominee, Shane Cunningham. What's up? Oh, I thought there was going to be an applause. It sounded like, uh, yeah. but no, there's no one here to clap. Oh, I thought you guys were going to kind of yeah. clap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, speech, pretty surreal. Speech, speech, speech. Max, thanks for writing that song, man. Hey. Um, <laughs> you got it. Um, but this is great though, because uh, this wasn't our year to be in the Juno runnings. It was last year because our record came out, out of the album in cycle. 2016. Yeah. But then we had this unicorn song that has served us in so many different ways that came out in uh, March of 2017. And my favorite thing, I've said this before on the pod, is just doing stuff with friends. And I was thinking about like, I was telling this to Lauren actually the other day. I was like, you know, I just feel like I'm so lucky. Because I get to do this pod with my friends. I get to, I'm in a band with my friends. It's like I get so many perks through friends. Like the nut hooks us up with stuff. And like our management, like manager Ash and Chris are the best. And our book agents. I just feel so lucky to, oh, I really only have to do stuff with people I really, really like. <laughs> and, I, and then she was just like, Max, um, I was in the middle of this big thing. And then she was like, Max, um, can you stop it, please? It's very obnoxious because, you know, most people don't have those kinds of jobs. And I probably won't have that kind of job. I'm in school right now. So can you stop it? And I was like, fair enough. Was that like a, you kind of prepared a speech? Was <laughs> that, that was the Juno <laughs> speech. Yeah. <laughs> was that it? No. Oh, okay. I thought talking. you were practicing for a second. No. Okay. But maybe that, that should good, be though. if we win. That could be yeah, a good Juno speech. Well, I was feeling very warm mm -hmm. listening yeah, that to that. That got me kind of emotional. Yeah, now. that was yeah. nice, man. Anyway, so then when we found out, um, actually, Ash somehow found out the results like uh, 20 minutes before they were announced. So she texted him to me, and then I texted you, and then we had a group thread going. But oh, it was yeah. a bit of a surprise for you, right? You didn't know what we were shocked. talking the about. The second uh, I saw that Mark Myers was on a thing, and it said, okay, guys. I'm like, fuck, they're going to ask us to do another video. <laughs> and then, I was like, oh, no, hit me with it. And then, because uh, oh, no. you had been recording more songs recently, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I thought for sure. And then when you said uh, that it won, I was totally shocked. Yeah. And I had just bo booked a trip for that exact same day. So I was like, shit, now I got to uh, see if I can cancel the trip. Oh, so you can go to the Junos. So I can go to the Junos. Yeah, yeah. man. A little party in Vancouver. So we will talk a little bit more about the Junos in uh, the dessert chain. But I just want to say congratulations, man. Thank you. Hey, I always forget to do this. And then at the end of the episode, I remember. But if you like this podcast, subscribe to it. Make sure you hit subscribe and tell your friends about it and leave a comment in the ratings. So this is my homework assignment for everybody listening. Leave a comment in the ratings for iTunes right now. Tell us what you like about the show. If you have any suggestions, 
uh, we'll, we'd love to hear them. If you have any comments or criticisms, we'll take those too. So, uh, but five stars for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Please five or Please five, five stars. Yeah. Um, you know, today on the show we got a big one. We actually have Emmy Award winner Lena Waith who has uh, obviously been a part of Master of None, which is what she won the Emmy for. But right now, she uh, created and is executive producing a show called The Shy. Um, and we talked to her a bit more in the show. So she's a great person to talk to. We'll get to her in a bit. Before we do that, like we do off the top always, what's been going on? Well, uh, Cam Ballantyne. Yeah. Update on him. He just competed. Well, he, he made it right away. He won it. Uh, he beat out six people to go to the grand finale in uh, Poland. So he made it through the first round and then in the grand finale, which Steve Coons was actually watching. <laughs> so for our listeners, yeah. if you hadn't heard Shane's dessert from two episodes ago, I believe he brought in his old pal, uh, Cam Ballantyne, DJ can be the great dessert, great dessert to, to rehash some falling out from their early childhood when they were the treehouse guys. Uh, <laughs> it came up that nemesis Steve Coons was the guy that, that came between them. Um, and the reason we had Cam on is because like Shane said, he placed first uh, in Canada and went to Poland to uh, spin his way uh, to a victory. And this is the update. So first round, he won that, made it to the grand finale, and then they have it on Facebook Live. So you can see people, people who actually know a lot about DJing will comment, and you'll see who's joining, who you know. And then all of a sudden, I see Steve Coons is watching. And I was like, oh, holy shit. Like, I wonder, I wonder if he had heard the pod. Ah. And then I couldn't resist. I was like, oh, Steve, had you heard the pod? And he hadn't. Oh. So he was just going to watch Cam anyway. Maybe he didn't know there was any uh, animosity between the two. And when he said, what pod? Did you go, never mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I did get a little worried. And then he said something like, uh, uh, I, I hope he said all good things, I hope. And I was like, ha ha. No, maybe you just check it out for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping he wouldn't. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it's episode 89. It's just at the end part. And then 10 minutes later, he messaged me back and he said, uh, oh, you made the wrong choice. You should have stayed with Cam. I'm just a whatever he does now. And he's like, and Cam's this like world renowned DJ. Uh. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Poor <laughs> that, Steve that's Coons. how it ended. Yeah. But yeah, uh, Cam uh, ended up in third place, which is total bullshit. Because I watched, like, I don't know. Russian any- judge? It's like I don't know game. anything it's about DJing, but I, I could tell that Cam was like far and above the best DJ there. Like he was just doing a lot. Whereas one girl literally played Wonderwall and just sat back and did nothing. <laughs> That's my kind of DJ. <laughs> so I'm like, the crowd must be going nuts. All the comments, I'm basting her all angry faces. Like, you know, on Facebook live, you can see like yeah. all the thumbs up, like moving around like musical notes, uh-huh. all angry faces. All the other people had way more angry faces than cam. So Cam was robbed, and I'm never drinking a Red Bull again. Unless they'd like to sponsor the yeah, pod. Uh, we are that. always open. We will. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> um, also, uh, as far as things that happen in the podcast universe or the Mike on Much universe, I woke up this morning, and I started looking at my Insta story. And, of course, the first thing that pops up is the Mike on Much feed. And I'm like, oh, a story. I wonder if Shane posted something late at night, maybe Max. And it's a still of uh, Kai from Ottawa, one of our fans, yeah. and Dan Hamilton hanging out at a bar. Yeah, so I'll I'll explain this to you because I was the one who took the photo. If you can imagine, <laughs> well, I bro- I, 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 do have the, I have the power of deduction. <laughs> Unless Dan Hamilton has the login now, or Kai and the boys from Ottawa. Uh, so the last like week's been kind of funny for me because you know I, I live in Hamilton, but Lauren, my Hamilton girlfriend, is now at U of T. 
I'm more interested in your Toronto girlfriend <laughs> or your Calgary girlfriend. <laughs> my, Hamilton girl. <laughs> my Hamilton gal. Yeah, your Halifax uh, girlfriend. Yeah, gone. I get it. Uh, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, Lauren's your only girlfriend, though. She's right? my only girlfriend. Just to make yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now Shane feels like you've been left out of some like, information. I don't know. <laughs> so um, she lives in Toronto because she's at U of T and she has a roommate. And I would have moved in with her to her place in toronto but then i was like ah we're gonna be on tour a bunch and i don't know if it makes sense to be like and toronto rent's really expensive i own a house in hamilton it just didn't really seem to make that much sense at the time back in september when she was moving to toronto so that was that but now come january the band has been off the road we've been recording in toronto there's been a lot of like kind of biz to be done in toronto there's podcast stuff yada 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 so i'm in toronto all the time and i've been staying at her place all the time a couple weeks ago, I started to feel a little bad that maybe I was, you know, it's kind of a small apartment. I was like, wake up every morning and a roommate would be like, you know, trying to make some coffee. I'm sitting there at the kitchen table, like reading the newspaper and just like never leaving kind of thing. A little like third wheel action. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I, you know, I talk- also not paying rent. And, oh, also not paying rent. I did uh, add an Apple TV, though, to the hey, apartment. that's something. <laughs> I was like, guys, look what I got. Uh, you know, so... You know, I decided that the, the, the proper thing to do is not be there seven nights a week. You know, pick my spots, right? So, I'm, so I packed my bindle. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the littlest hobo. Yeah. And I was on my merry way, and I started calling friends. So I said, you know, I could just go back to Hamilton. But then I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I got some things I got to do in Toronto the next morning. Maybe I can, you know, crash at Dan Hamilton's Airbnb. Because Dan is making the move from Toronto to Hamilton. And he's just been living in Airbnb. Reverse, Hamilton to Toronto. He's oh, so moving he's to Toronto. Moving yeah. to Toronto. Ironically right. for Hamilton a guy with the last Hamilton. name Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. So I've been kind of crashing at Dan's a bunch lately, and it's been really fun. So last night, we were just hanging out, just like a couple of roommates, <laughs> even though I'm, again, not paying rent. And uh, we went and He's going to want an Apple TV now, Of too. course. Yeah, that's the deal. And so we went out to this bar on King Street, uh, Belfast Love cool place it's always it's always happening and uh we're just having a beer just chatting and then this hunky dude comes on over and he looks a little familiar and he says hey it's kai from the podcast <laughs> <laughs> and then immediately i recognized him and here's the thing dan wasn't at the live show because he was away on vacation that's right so i said oh this is dan dan hamilton and he looked at dan like he was a celebrity because he he knew so much about well, dan hamilton. i was building uh, Dan up so much at the live show because Kai was going on and on about how he loves the champagne boy lifestyle. I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, he's gonna be so bored tonight. So he's just looking at me like, like I'm supposed to like party. And I was like, oh, Dan's the best champagne boy. He, if he was here, man, it would be a party. He's like the leader of the champagne boys. So I kind of created like this huge legend of Dan. Then. So then the first thing Kai says to Dan is, "Are we in party mode tonight?" <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was awesome. We, we I made a conscious effort not to. I was like, I pulled the plug early now. Kai uh, was in town only for one night because he works at a bar in Ottawa and they drove down for industry night just to party on a Sunday night in Toronto. Hey, they man. drove like through the snow. That's dedication. That is dedication to partying. He, what, that, industry he, night? What is that? Industry night's like when bartenders have like their time to party. People, want, oh. people work at bars, all the peak hours are like Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So for them to drink, it's like industry nights are like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You know, the yeah, old Yeah, Monday, uh, Tuesday is the weekend. That's right. I was literally just going to bring up that line. Exactly. So, um, so, of course, though, being the good, gracious host that he is, Dan bought shots for everybody immediately. 
Then Kai bought like shots with whipped cream in them. Mm. And uh, <laughs> he was so excited. He was like, you guys got to come to this other bar. We got like eight bottle service. Like we're, go- we're, we're <laughs> going do- for it. Yeah, we're going to do this right. You got to come. But then he, he could see that I wasn't committing to the night. Cause, and he knows the ins and outs of all of our relationships very well because he really listens to the pod. Wow. And then so he's like, Max, you better not be sneaking out on me. He's like, kind of, <laughs> he's like pointing his finger at me. He's like, Max. We're doing this, man. <laughs> uh, anyway, I did sneak out, so I couldn't. But I, but one thing I want to let you guys know is uh, his name's not Kai; it's Kyle. Yeah, yeah. Did, oh, did you know that? I figured as much. Yeah, it's oh. the short, short form. form nickname. Oh, and he said like my sister's name's Tiffany. I just call her Tip. Yeah, but he says nobody in his life has ever called him Kai except for you. Oh, oh. so I got it from Shane then. Yeah. Well, on his Instagram, I follow him on Instagram. It's it's Kai Downey. So. Yeah, there you go. Oh, who wouldn't call him? I call I call a girl but, "Kiss Me Deadly" just from her MySpace nickname. That's sure, right. oh, there you go. Mm. But anyway, uh, shout out to to Kai or Kyle. No, let's stick with Kai. Yeah, Kai's shout out to way Kai. better. Yeah, Kai's, yeah, Kai's cool. cool. Yeah. And, he, and he said, and he said, oh yeah, no one's ever called me Kai ever except for Shane. But that's that's the name of your nephew, right? Because my nephew is named Kai. Jesus, so I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> so he knows, but he's a smart guy. He's going to be an air traffic controller. Well, I hope he slows it down on those whipped cream shots. <laughs> he's going to be fucking sending planes through the sky. Um, <laughs> Props to Kai. I like that guy. Did you see Dan Hamilton's Insta story? Uh, Just commenting now. on what it's like to live with you. Yeah. That was pretty funny. <laughs> we should get that put up it's on like ours. like 22 clues that I'm with Max, or yeah. Max stayed the night. Well, this is it. Is that like I'm showering, I'm shaving, my shit is everywhere around the apartment two empty like power aids in the fridge the door was unlocked yeah, yeah you left the door i literally it's funny you bring this up so i uh brought a bunch of stuff over to your place in hamilton yeah uh because we'd played hockey on the weekend and in that bag was like a um a grooming kit like with a shaver and like uh, old spice and all this shit in it that was at my old old apartment from two years ago where you <laughs> stayed one night and just left it there yeah and danica was like bring this back to max oh uh, yeah you know network my favorite uh twitter follow he has like a he had a funny tweet like i could literally live under a bridge as long as it was like it had a wi-fi signal like that's sort of my <laughs> vibe you know like, i just like throw me anywhere i'll leave stuff behind i don't really care all right, so today on the show, fellas, we have Lena Waithe. Yeah, I think I told you this on a previous pod, but I missed this interview, I was, but I was flying home, and when I landed at the airport, I was, it must have been coming from the States, and she was on the other side of the glass, Yeah, and I waved to her. Did I tell you that on the podcast? You did you tell did. it, yeah. yeah. Did yeah. she wave back, though? Yeah, she did. She was very confused. <laughs> like, she had no idea. She was just a random dude waving to her. But, uh, yeah, she was super cool. As you'll hear uh, in the interview, she's very laid back, and I think very, like, you know, the fact that she's, like, basically running this show uh, and she created it with um, the Shy, which, by the way, I called it the Chai. Oh, right. Like an, a fucking idiot. Great way Did to lose. Did she correct you? Oh, yeah. Weird blunder, but it's that thing where it's, like, people, is it Chai Town or Shy Town? It's Shy Town. My mom called it Chai also. <laughs> oh, geez, that yeah. makes me feel good. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm well out of the loop, fellas. Uh, but I don't know. It's, like, you know how people would call it, like, Che and Shay? There's people yeah. that would call it Shay. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. do you call him Che Guevara or Shay Guevara? Yeah. Che. I say Che too. Yeah. Anyway, I should have applied that to the chai. Uh, yeah. Anyway, 
So if you're listening and you've, you've ever been in a situation where you're interviewing somebody uh, or you're having a conversation that you think, oh, this is important and I don't want to look like a moron, just know that I've been there. But you blamed it on your Canadian accent. Right? I sure did. Yeah. I, was, I was like, well, <laughs> no, that's just a good being move. a goofy Canadian, not Canadian accent, <laughs> but just the idea is like, oh, I'm Canadian and I haven't been to Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Faraway land of yeah. Chicago. Oh, man. But anyway, so I just know that in that moment when you're listening, I was dying a slow death and oh, trying man, to that's the worst. wiggle out of like, it. Uh, I remember the Nora Jones interview, not to bring up old scars but uh, wow killing me today max the uh just the danger mouse one yeah oh, what's the nor jones thing oh. i don't listen to the interview <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he just waits for the dessert he uh referenced the wrong producers danger oh. mouse produced the, no it's danger mouse and i said dead mouse dead mouse yeah and those are two different <laughs> i mixed up my mouses yeah yeah <laughs> i always mix up uh my chais and shies right. chays and shays and my mouses right anyway so the mice my mice no that's well done uh <laughs> She was very kind and uh, and cool and gracious after I, I, I missed it. But this actually reminds me of a, a similar situation. So uh, we we were jumping in here on a cut because uh, Webmaster Dan reminded uh, the gang here of a story where I totally looked like an idiot to open a show. So what tell the people what the story was because I kind of forget, but I just remember feeling terrible about it. You were in Calgary, yeah, and you had played Edmonton the night previous, yeah. And it was a big show in Calgary. B- oh, biggest, yeah. biggest show to date. Yep. And it was like Saddle Dome, Stampede Grounds. So it can't get more Calgary than that. Yeah, it was like, yeah, on the Stampede Grounds. And he called it Chaldry. <laughs> <laughs> and then I it was I like the was, second song. I, middle, yeah, after the first song or going into the second song. I said, good evening, Edmonton. How are we going to have a good time tonight? <laughs> oh, no. And then, and they're, they're rival cities. They oh, do yeah. not like each other. And I, I was just like, and you usually you can kind of smile off anything, but I was just like, fuck, 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 fuck. <laughs> and I could just like, my Did eyes, you say that many fucks on the mic? N- no, but mm. my eyes were saying that. Mm. And everyone was kind of laughing at me because they knew that I had realized my mistake immediately. Yep. And there, there's some booze. I'm like, and there's like, you can kind of get out of any situation, but this was like, how do you, I, I and the other thing is I had been thinking so much about like how to address Calgary and things I wanted to talk about the city. And I really done my homework that day. Like the whole day I just been sort of prepping to like talk about local things and my relationship with the city. And I fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. That's you had Lanny McDonald side stage ready to come on. <laughs> and then he walked away. It's Lanny McDonald. Yeah. That's you what said, said Lanny, didn't you? No, no. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm hearing everything wrong. <laughs> so uh, Lena Waithe, man, she's exploding, obviously. She has this show. It's just been renewed for season two. Uh, it's on Sundays on Crave TV here in Canada and Showtime in the States. Um, so lots of big things. She's also actually, and I didn't realize this until after I read Ready Player One and uh, started kind of doing the wiki thing. She's one of the main stars of it. Like she's one of like Whoa. the four major uh, players in Ready Player One. So she's been in a film directed by Steven Spielberg. Okay. Two former podcasts in Ready Player One. That's right. You guys want to get to Have you guys watched The Shy yet? My mom says it's awesome. <laughs> she loves the chai. Yeah, she yeah. does. It, it's really, really good. Like, I watched the, the, the pilot, and I, I loved it, and I just haven't been able to get around to watching more of it, but... I have not seen it yet. You will like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, you guys want to get to uh, Lena Waithe? Let's do it. Let's do it. A long day of press so far? No. Not bad? Yeah, it's just pretty light. Yeah. Do you, do you enjoy doing press? Uh, sure, yes. It's better than an alternative. <laughs> Meaning like no one interested? Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I kind of want to start with just the idea that 
I think most kids' dream isn't to be a TV writer. Mm-hmm. It's such a kind of a niche thing when people look at the big machine that is entertainment. Right. It's always actor or movie star or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were consuming television and sort of dissecting shows as a kid, you know, did your mother and grandmother consciously know they were supporting this ambition? Um, no. <laughs> um, I think they just thought we were just watching television. <laughs> but I think for me, I was really, I'm always more fascinated by the wizard behind the curtain. Um who's making everything move and is sort of running everything. And I think that's that that's really where I was really, that's what I was excited by the most was who's creating these characters, who's writing these lines, uh, because that to me is where the magic lives. Even though, yes, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing and I'm loving these actors and these characters and these sets, but I really was curious about who was creating the world. You're aware of the construct, whereas most people are just seeing what they're yeah. seeing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I appreciate what I was seeing. I mean, that was really important, the images. But I also really love the content as well. And and that's what I think fascinated me the most. Right. I mean, have you always been sort of like, um, I don't want to say critical thinker, but like, I mean, like you said, even the idea of watching something and going, oh, who writes those words and who directs that and why, how's that put together? Right. That's sort of a way of thinking that most people I don't think when they're younger even think about when they're consuming a TV yeah, show. Yeah, you're right. I think most people just sort of, you know, think about, oh, I'm watching something really, you know, shiny and cool. Yeah. And, but to me, I'm always like, yeah, but there's somebody behind that. And, uh, and that's what was so exciting to me about it. Yeah. Um, you know, you've been in a lot of writing rooms mm-hmm. and now you're running your own show, obviously. Yeah. Uh, are there experiences as a writer or actor that inform the way that you wanted to work with your staff now that now that you're the boss? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing is to really give the writers a sense of ownership of the show and not make it, even though you have to know technically, it's, I know who it says, whose name is undercreated by, but I really wanted to encourage the writers to understand that I wrote the pilot and I created the characters, but I needed them to help me take the characters on a really interesting, layered, and complex journey. And that's really what they did. So for me, it was more about making sure that the writers felt like real voices on the show and not just employees on the show. I really want, I, I was really invested in every single writer and um, and in their careers and their lives and, and what they wanted to be doing because I think that's how the business changes, not just having one person succeed, but having everyone succeed and everyone's dreams come true. Yeah, high tide lifts all boats absolutely so but i mean that kind of empathy is that something that's natural or is that something where you're like hey i've been through some of these maybe not great experiences so it's like when i get my chance i'm going to sort of be better at it well i think it's natural but it's also about me wanting to see the business look different and change i think the best way to do that is to pull people up and to not even pull them up but to empower them to pull themselves up and i think that's really what my writers represented everyone from you know Dime Davis, who's a phenomenal writer and a phenomenal a filmmaker, was in our room. She was a PA on the pilot. She was a writer's assistant on, in our little sort of mini room. And then she became a staff writer on our series, which was a wonderful journey. And Marcus Gardley, who is an amazing playwright, who's spent a lot of time in Chicago, who still has plays in Chicago. He still goes and mm. helps um, young people learn how to uh, write plays in Chicago, which is amazing. And he's just phenomenal. He really is an amazing writer, and I'm happy to have him in our room. And then Justin Hillian, who also wrote on I'm Dying Up Here, who we were so happy to have in our room. He's a guy who has so many different life experiences. He's so smart. He's so quick. And um, and he's someone that is really believe in his voice. And Kathy Kasakye, who is an amazing female writer, she um, is from Uganda and moved to America when she was 12. And she just has such a unique perspective and such a unique voice and it was her first time being staffed on our show as well um she was a script coordinator for on masters of sex and was ready to really sit at the table and she was a superstar so to me i'm grateful that i can you know have those people in my life let alone on my staff 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the idea of like leadership, you know, and these mm. sort of qualities that you have and like between, you know, like the Emmy speech, your mm. activism around like LGBTQ issues and right. all of that stuff. Have you always been a natural leader? I mean, I think it's something that you have to learn. You know, I, I think to me it's about being a team player, um, which I think makes someone a really great leader uh, because you you understand the importance of everyone's uh, role. And I don't always have to lead. You know, I like also sort of standing next to everyone yeah. and 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 uh, and uh, getting things done. Well, it's an interesting thing that the idea of like you know being a team player, standing next to people, and then sort of trying to take the lead and be like, no, I'm my voice is going to be you know the voice that is being heard. I guess the, the question would be like, do you, like, have you always been an ambitious person in that sense? Um, I think I've always been ambitious for sure. I, but I think it's more about just always had really big dreams and really yeah. big goals. And, you know, it's about willing them to happen and doing the work and having the support um, and just sort of really caring so much about the craft. I think that's what's really most important to me. How do you make the leap from somebody watching TV in Chicago to then all of a sudden being a part of like this big machine and something that seems like a very like uh, you know the odds of success are very low mm -hmm. when you get into the industry that you're in it's such a unique job how do you like make that happen and did you ever have any sort of doubts along the way like shit this isn't going to happen for me never thought that but I think for me it was about really honestly it boils down to craft it's like you have to really mm. care about the craft and that's what will set you apart it's like there's a lot of the reason why there's so many people in Los Angeles particularly, that are still trying to get in is because, one, it's it's about timing, but it's also about people being ready for the opportunities and also people not letting anything deter them, um, not letting rejection get you down, not allowing someone else's opinion, you know, get mm -hmm. you off your path. It's about patience and um, and really just caring about your craft that's it's all it always boils down to craft because if you have something great everybody wants it if you have something good some people will want it if you have something mediocre you know people will still want it because <laughs> you know mediocrity sells too sure but i feel like greatness always rises to the top and it can't be denied and it can't be ignored and so for my my mission is always to strive for greatness that's what i always tell my mentees yeah it's always like the work first like make yeah. sure the work is tight and then all the other shit comes. everything else will, you know will come into place yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, with the chai. Uh, the shy. The shy. Yeah. I'm like Canadian. I'm like, it's with all the good. chai. No, no, it's all good. Yeah. Um, with the shy, you know what I mean? What are the shows uh, and references did you have in mind? You know, like who are the people that, well, we'll get to this after, but mm -hmm. sort of the people when you create something, I ask musicians this a lot. Mm -hmm. If there's anyone in your inner circle that you lean on for feedback, meaning like, hey, read this draft. Absolutely. Justin Simeon is someone I, I definitely lean on for sure. And also those writers I just mentioned, you know, I really trust them and their opinions and, um, and I know how how important the craft is to them. So for me, it's really important to always make sure there's a checks and balances. And in terms of references, you know, House of Cards was definitely mm. one that I loved and and, and respected. And um, Downton Abbey is also one that I really thought was special in terms of character development and and um, and just the surprises along the way. Uh, the Practice, which is an old David E. Kelly show, yeah. which I really appreciated in terms of having really flawed characters that were Dylan McDermott. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bobby Donald wasn't always the the most um stand-up guy but he always wants to do the stand-up thing um in the courtroom and even he would go to any lengths to get his clients off and and uh and some people you know really kind of that wrestled in your soul about it was this right or 
is he, you know, but he's still staying within the confines of the law. So I guess I can't be mad at it. Yeah, these um, ethical and sort of moral internal battles. Absolutely. Or even Mad Men as well yeah. was um, something that I really looked at. So I think there's this idea of people go, oh, it's like The Wire. It's like, well, but my influences <laughs> are not only things with just black people in it. You know, my influences are just really just great story and um, character. So you're pulling from all over the place, Absolutely. which is what all creatives do. But yeah. people always go to the first thing that it looks like to sure. them. Do you yeah. get the wire a lot with this? Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Do you find that sort of frustrating, or do you find that like, eh, I'll just explain? No, I mean, it's a compliment, but I definitely think it speaks to there being a lack of shows with people of color, you yeah. know, that I guess maybe people take seriously um, on television. And, um, and at the end of the day, the difference is I'm a black woman, and I'm also from the city, and I don't really care so much about the police but i care about the people that are being policed and i think that's the difference in mm -hmm. the show i watched the pilot uh and which was fantastic Thank you so and much. you mentioned you don't care about the police but i feel like the one detective is a very empathetic uh guy sure yeah you know, you know i mean because i don't want to demonize them yeah. you know but they aren't the center of the story right yeah is there a particular tv show or movie that spoke to you a lot growing up like something where you go oh, that's definitively my favorite or well a different that. world absolutely is oh, yeah? so influential for me uh yeah, I that remember Dwayne Wayne's uh, flip of glasses. glasses. Yeah, those you are know, iconic. I mean, those those characters are so iconic and so um, memorable, and really just have stood the test of time. I mean, there are people that are my age, um, even some younger, who can still watch. And I think it's on Netflix still, um, and you can just turn it on, and and the, it still really holds up. And a lot of the subjects they tackle are still really relevant today, which I think is something that that entire cast and crew can be really proud of. There's something cool about old TV shows that are now sort of found a new life on Netflix, where you put Absolutely. them on. It just it feels comfortable to just yeah. have it on. It's you know great. I mean? It's it's wonderful for people that obviously weren't around when the show was on. <laughs> yeah, they're they finding can, it. They can check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess lastly, uh, you know. With Master of None, the Thanksgiving episode mm -hmm. has become uh, iconic, and it's heralded as one of the sort of best episodes of television in recent memory. Mm -hmm. Can you walk us through, I guess, how Aziz decided to make that episode a standalone story, or how you guys came to that decision, and then sort of what artistic struggles went into sort of like getting it right? Um, well, I think well, I think the thing about season two is that I think Aziz and Alan wanted to sort of make every episode its own thing, mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was really ambitious and really cool, and I really didn't face a ton of artistic challenges with that episode. It was a very thinly veiled version of my own coming out. And so I just had to really think back and uh, and just make sure that I was getting it right. And and the biggest thing was, again, for me to stand in my mother's shoes and, and not demonize her and not make her the villain, but also not make my character the hero either. It really just sort of put them both in the same space and trying to figure out a thing that neither one of them had really ever been confronted with before. And, and I just wanted to tell it honestly. Um, because that's what my experience looked like. It was just that, a process. And it was an experience. And it's one that continues. And I'm really grateful that people responded to it so much in the way they did. It, it definitely was a, a really pleasant surprise. Mm -hmm. I actually do have one more question. I know I said that was no, lastly. Uh, but I, I was speaking to uh, an artist who won a Grammy recently. It was nominated for a Grammy. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about how sort of being nominated legitimized them in the, the eyes of their sort of extended mm. family and like, so, sorry, what do you do exactly? Right. And then the minute you're nominated, it becomes this thing. Oh, yeah. How did winning the Emmy for you, uh, I guess, change the way that the industry sort of approaches you, responds to you, and even your peers? You know, does it change things? I mean, I think it gives you a boost. I mean, I, and I think the thing in terms of industry, it puts you on a sort of very sort of short list or you're yeah. sort of part of an exclusive club. Um, but I think it just sort of, what I love about it is it, it kind of gives me a little bit more trust from people and, and uh, maybe i don't know maybe even boosted my own confidence hmm. but 
ultimately, I don't think that because I've won an Emmy that I'm everything I write is perfect and is great and all those things. I'm still an artist. I'm still someone who's trying to find my voice and I'm still, you know, married to the craft. So I'm still always trying to be great at it and perfect it. So um, it was a wonderful moment. It was an amazing accomplishment, but I'm still trucking. I'm still, it, to me, it's, it, it's the beginning uh, of a longer journey. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Welcome to the desserts. We are here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. I should say Juno Award nominated pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. I'm glad to be here. It's really nice to be here with you, Shane. And, you know, I'm just going to say off the top, uh, Shane's, uh, Shane had this idea uh, when we got in this morning. We started talking about recording this pod where he said, you know, I'm a Juno Award nominated guy now. He goes, I just uh, recorded a single called The Nutcracker, which you previewed last week on the show. Um, <laughs> You asked Mike, can we do a bit of the Mike on much treatment for myself? Yeah, you know, we're around each other so much, and you never really uh, get a chance to interview me. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so with that in mind, I, I emailed Max. I said, Maxie, what do you think of this idea? Here's some questions, and, and you seem to love it. I love this. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to give you the full treatment, man. Yeah. We're going to do this just like we do it when it's the two of us. And, like, this is no joke. This is a real interview, right? Yeah, we're putting you in the hot seat, man. You're Juno okay. Award nominated. All right. So. But don't do treat me any different than you would, like, any other guest. Yeah, like Noel Gallagher or, like. Lena. Lena. Yeah. Waith. Um, or Chai Jones. <laughs> so we're just going to jump right into this thing. Um, we usually like to start at the start, so I'm going to go back a bit. Uh, you grew up in Hamilton. Um, what did your parents do? My dad uh, was a steel worker. He's since retired. And my mom was a, a car insurance sales woman. Interesting. Well, so like, you know, one of the reasons you're here is because you have this new single coming out called The Nutcracker. Do you come from a musical family? My mom was always singing when I was young. Uh, in fact, my parents divorced uh, when I was six. And that's when I noticed my mom was really hitting the karaoke bar scene a lot. <laughs> and according to her, she actually won a lot of money in karaoke competitions. She could sing her? Like, did you ever see her sing in karaoke? No, mostly it was, like, I was six, and it was, like, at bars mostly. Sometimes I'd go out, like, after, like, one of her softball games. But she does have a fairly decent voice. And I remember once she actually laid down a recording of uh, You're So Vain. That was her favorite song mm. and would always be playing in the house. It was weird. Do you guys still have it? I don't know. Uh, yeah, just because the technology's gone so far, I, uh, we don't have any Walkmans laying around. But my grandfather, he was probably the most musical. He was pretty famous in Hamilton. He's a Scottish man, and he was good at the bagpipes, which is one of the harder instruments to master. And he was also very good at the harmonica. So to answer your question, Mike, I do come from a musical family. That's pretty impressive. When did you start to sort of notice that you had a musical ability or a leaning toward writing music? Well, when I was young, I was always in bed before before I fell asleep. I would always be singing. And uh, anytime anyone asked what I was going to do for a living, I'd say, I'm going to be a professional singer. Uh. But then it turned out I didn't actually have a good singing voice. Because sometimes you Who sing, told you that? Uh... Mainly, I could tell, uh, like, once I got to a certain age, I thought I had a really good voice when I was young, but then I would sing, and then people would make, like, comments that I didn't have a good voice. So I lost confidence in that, but I really got into rap music at a young age. 
and I actually was in a rap dance class. What's a rap dance? Class? Yeah, I've never heard uh, of such you a know, thing. Uh, you know, when you see a rap video, like a hip hop dance class. Yeah, hip hop dance okay, class. Sure. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, it's I like it. Honey, like with Jessica. Chris Cross was yeah. one of my favorite acts, and I would even wear my clothes backwards uh, to these uh, <laughs> dance classes. I seriously would with Chris Cross shirt on. And then I backed out of the recital. I just got really nervous. So your clothes look like they're on the right way when you backed out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Good work. Good joke. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's well, how it all began. My, and then, of course, later on, I, I ended up joining a rap group when I was about 19 called Crocodile Mile. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to record a, an album since. What were those songs like? Uh, like, I'd, I'd, this climate, I'd lose my job for sure. They were very inappropriate yeah, you you could never you could never have them be released to the public. Yeah, was it sort of kind of like pre Lonely Island, Lonely Island, but with really sort of offensive lyrics? Like the gag was that you go so far that people are sort of shocked and laughing. Yeah, the yeah the joke was I guess we were hardcore, just rude rappers, rude dudes, rude boys. We were in on the joke, but I'm not sure the general public would be if they could hear the songs. Totally. Well, I want to go to the single uh, that you have coming out. Um, I guess like so it's called the Nutcracker. Yeah. And you did it with Drew Grange. Drew Grange. Yeah. Uh speaking of uh Juno Award winners, Drew Grange, I believe he's been nominated for four. He's won one. He was in the R and B group in essence. So I was lucky enough to just meet him because a guy I went to high school with manages him now, Steve Sarkani. And he agreed to a collaboration. And we just recently I was just in the studio. So it was it was good to be there. Who's studio? Uh, Steve Sarkani. He does it in uh uh, a basement studio. It's really nice. And, and Steve Sarkani manages Drew Grange. Yeah, and just produces music for fun. Yeah, well, I was going to get into that because I, I guess this track could be described as like a, a diss track. And on this pod, we like to get into the minutia of process. And so I guess, like you said, this track was produced by Steve Sarkani. So I, I guess what we want to know is like, what did Steve bring to uh, the process that helped the song sort of really come together? Well, I found when I was doing the original song in the room, I was a little nervous and off time, and it it was kind of just ridiculous. The song, as if anyone's heard, it doesn't sound good when we did it live off the floor. Drew's mic was hot. His voice didn't sound as good as it normally does. Like Drew, his voice did sound wonderful in the room. I will attest to that. But with yeah, with Peaked the mic on the recording, and I was like a little disappointed in that track, and I didn't want that to go out to the public. What Steve brought was amazing production values. Like when you guys hear this song, you're actually going to be impressed. I actually sound good. I sound cool. I changed some of the lyrics up, and Drew sounds amazing. Is it the same track? It's the same track, but my flow is so good, you're going to be blown away. Okay. I'm serious. Because your flow is very terrible in the room. Last I, I know it was, yeah, I and I was humiliated with that. And although the lyrics are very hilarious, I don't want people to think that this is a uh, funny song. Okay. I just want people to think it's a good song. It's an honest song. It's honest, and yeah, it's honest. Well, speaking of honesty, you know, and I, we've asked other artists this who've appeared on the pod, but, you know, when you're sitting down to write lyrics, and specifically for the Nutcracker, like, were you concerned that, like, whoever you may have been talking about, like, might hear it and know it was about them? Or did you take <laughs> steps to maybe shield who you were singing about? Because, you know, you don't want the subject of the song to hear about it and then maybe feel terrible. It's about a, a guy who goes by the nickname The Nut. So some people actually know who that is. Some people don't. But I just thought, hey, it originated in a rap battle. And the purpose of this was to 
for the fans who missed the rap battle so they could hear some of the lyrics that happened during the battle. It wasn't necessarily to put down the nut more. That's just kind of a fringe benefit of this. But yeah, I I don't think he's overly offended because he was willing to let those lyrics be released in the episode. It was only a legal issue, which uh, originally I did these lyrics over uh, a Biggie song, which we couldn't get legally cleared. So you never considered pulling some punches to uh, maybe spare uh, the nuts' feelings? Uh, no, because I think, you know, we both publicly bashed each other and it's all out there anyway. I figured might as well just throw a, a good chorus to it and a nice beat. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that you both publicly bashed one another because I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask ethically was you have this platform and you're going to be releasing this song, I believe, on iTunes. We'll get to how people can get it a little bit later. But, you know, should the person you're talking about, you've now admitted that it is the nut. Um, should he have a platform to respond? Yeah, I definitely I did take that into consideration. I was worried about his reaction once he heard it. Uh, he did text Has he heard me. the track? The recorded track? Well, yeah. So he just messaged me on the weekend. He just said a diss track with an exclamation point, and then he put a question mark. And then I said, "Gotta go." And I had an emoji. Of, <laughs> I had an emoji of a car with like a smoke symbol, like it's coming out, like I'm driving away really fast. And then I said, "Well, people were asking about the rap battle, so I needed to give them a taste." There was some disappointment that legal wasn't letting us include it because of that Biggie track that you chose. I said, did you dislike the song? He said, I haven't heard it yet, but I will murder you. <laughs> I said, it's not bad, and the chorus is awesome. And then he did not respond for a full day. And then his next response, like 24 hours after that, was a video of me appearing on a very embarrassing talk show appearance that I was kind of humiliated by. And I think the idea was, like, I'm threatening you with this video that I'm going to make this public. <laughs> if you don't take the song down i wasn't sure right but i did bump into wait, him wait, but okay so you've seen him since i bumped into him at a local hamilton brunch spot <laughs> and it was kind of awkward and we were like playing nice and i was <laughs> you, were, you were with your partners yeah yeah and i was like oh what did you think of the song he goes yeah you know it was nothing new it was all the same lyrics that we heard in the rap battle he goes, but I'm going to get in the studio and uh, do a diss track of my own because all things being equal. Fair so, is fair. So I thought, yeah, that's a great, great idea. So he's going to uh, get back in the studio with Steve and they're going to do this. It has to have the same chorus. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Drew Grange is going to be singing the same chorus. Fuck you like I do all that. And we're going to sell both of these tracks. And I guess the way to judge which who wins is whatever track Sells more. Sells more. It'll be a yeah. classic first week release about yeah, whichever fifth, track has the most streams. Because this was what uh, I think Kanye 50, 50 Cent. cent yeah. Was it Kanye and 50 Cent? It was. Yeah. And uh, I believe Kanye won that yeah. one. And 50 Cent actually said he was going to retire from music. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So there will be one. He will be allowed to uh, have a rebuttal to your diss track. Who do you predict will win that? <sighs> I'm out of the prediction sounds, game. It's uh, a good question. The nut has his underlings uh, that you know work with him and that are his colleagues, and they might, you know, start a campaign. But you have a lot of fans on this podcast too, and you're a Juno-nominated guy. It's true. So. Well, it's interesting you bring that up, Max, because speaking of the Juno nomination that you recently uh, had, and congrats by the way. Thank you very much. Um, you know, again, we've asked this of, of Grammy nominees, people that have won Emmys. 
What does it do? Actually, we just asked Lena Waithe, who was on the show earlier. What does it do as far as legitimizing you to like your parents, uh, your in-laws being nominated for something like a Juno? Well, my mom is really freaking out on Facebook. I'm not sure if you guys have followed her I don't on, think Facebook, I have her on Facebook. Nothing to do with the Juno. What's that? Nothing to do with the judo. Just her. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> she's just, just having a total it. mental <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she's just like my son is uh, nominated for a Juno. Oh my god, I'm freaking out. And then someone will say, "That's amazing." Trish will say, "I know, I'm in awe." And then someone will say, "Congrats, Shane." She'll say, "I know he he's going to beat Bieber." Like she's getting it all confused. Like I'm <laughs> up against Bieber too. But uh, yeah, as far as just people outside of my family, I definitely it's kind of surreal to say. I'm a Juno nominated artist, right? Mm -hmm. And soon, I think there's a pretty good chance we could win this. And just to say I'm a Juno winning artist and to have a, a track coincide with this, it's pretty great timing for just just promoting the the Nutcracker. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, to answer your question, it feels feels great and it totally legitimizes me. Wait, did, was there anything in particular that your in laws said or, or reacted in a way that was notable? Uh, they're just. They're always proud about the littlest details uh, of anything. Like my my in laws are just very positive people. Where my parents are never impressed by anything really. Mm. Like um, so for them to have such a, a great reaction, I I really know I kind of made it. If my mom and dad can like be really excited, well, that's fantastic. Do you have anything uh, more to ask, Maxi boy? Yeah, I feel like you normally chime in on real interviews, Max. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I mean, I think we covered most of it. Um, but you just think there's a big joke, right? Me being interviewed is like a gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Honestly. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think we've ever interviewed anyone with, uh, with regards to your music career with such a short lifespan. So there's not as much to go to dive into. It is because, your first single. And it's not even released yet. Well, so, we had that Julia Michaels person in, and she just had that one big single. But she yeah. also wrote, you she know, wrote Hands Myself and, and yeah. Sorry by Bieber. Yeah, well, maybe if you ask a different question, you'd learn more about me. Okay. Yeah. Um, You're on the spot. So man. just try one question. Okay. Put a little effort. Do, do, <laughs> <laughs> do, do you want it about the single? What? Do you want it to be about the single? Do you want the question he's going to ask to be about the single? Yeah. Oh. Uh <laughs> I'm doing it, all the heavy lifting. It could be about anything, Max. Okay. Uh, okay, because I'm a lead singer, I'm going to make this about myself. Uh, w w are you worried about making another Arkells video? Because you said you were dreading a, a text message from Ash. Terrified. Just because that I found that was one of the hardest experiences of my life. And I can't, like, Mark Myers did much more work on it. I can't imagine. Uh, how he feels about doing another thing because it is a monumental task on oh, yeah. anytime you do a four day shoot and just Mark edited it also. But uh, yeah, I was dreading it, but I don't think anything will be as hard as that because most shoots don't go over two days. Yeah. So yes, I was dreading it. And do you have any more music in mind after you put out the single? What's the, what's the next step in your hip hop career? I think this just might be my first and last song. Oh, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that's exciting stuff yeah great you look like you have something on your uh no there. no i'm just processing it all all right <laughs> you do have a perma smile right now max <laughs> <laughs> it, he's actually nervous because the music is his thing yeah oh are you jealous at all about the about competing with your new single yeah no 
No? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, Shane. Thank you for having me. That's it. That's all. That's our episode. Thank you so much to Lena Waithe for coming on and chatting with us. Thank you so much to Juno nominee Shane Cunningham for coming on and talking about his new single. You're welcome. You can find us online at Mike on Much for Twitter and Instagram. Throw us a follow. As I said at the beginning of the show, comment and ratings and iTunes do us wonders. So please do that. And tell the pod about your friends. Tell the pod about your friends. <laughs> tell your friends about the pod. Both are fine. But, uh, the artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory and put together by Tara Paquette. Thank you so much. Webmaster Dan, Justin Stockman. Greg Stewart. Greg Stewart. Uh, the whole gang here. And everybody that mixes the pod, thank you so much for all you do for us. Thank you guys for listening. The Mike and Much Podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veriman. See you next week. We don't die on the weekend.